This episode contains mature content. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. This week, we interview Dr. Daryl Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the scientific director at ACE Analytical Laboratory in Nevada. In this educational episode, the topic is marijuana. Yes, really. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of The Same 24 Hours. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I have a very interesting show for you today, and it's extremely intriguing, and I have to give a shout out to my husband, the expert, for connecting this guest. Um, today's guest is Daryl Johnson, Dr. Daryl jo- Johnson, who is the scientific director at ACE Analytical Laboratory in Las Vegas, which is, now here, hold on, hold on, <laughs> a cannabis safety and potency testing laboratory. That's right, cannabis. So AAL is in the forefront of cannabis analysis, and they are an amazing lab because they're adhering to the world's most stringent safety testing requirements. So this is a really interesting podcast because we're going to learn all about the plant that I don't know anything about. (laughs) So welcome, Dr. Johnson. Thank you. I I really appreciate you having me. I always enjoy the opportunities to get to educate people a little bit. Uh, about my profession, when when people hear that I run a marijuana testing lab, it's always some chuckles, and I'd love to do that and tell me more. So uh, right. I really appreciate this opportunity. And, and so and, that's uh, why I want to do this because I want to know more, and I want to um, let everyone else know like all the different amazing things that you guys are actually doing. So the legal, um, I guess, disclaimer on this is Dr. Johnson is a resident of Nevada. Um, Medical marijuana is legal in Nevada, and adult-use marijuana becomes legal, what, July of this year, recreationally? It's actually, it's currently legal, um, and you'll hear me use the word adult-use or recreational interchangeably. It's basically regulating like alcohol, so 21 and over. It's actually legal now here to possess up to an ounce, um, but recre- uh, commercial sales do not begin until uh, July the 1st. Oh, so commercial sales, got it. So, um, Dr. Johnson um, is a graduate, actually, of the University of Georgia, so that's how we we have the connection and has his PhD in bioanalytical chemistry. He worked at the Complex Carbohydrate Research Center, which is known as the CCRC, and it's very much a common term in our household. Um, Following graduation, he he took a job as a research chemist at the CDC in Atlanta, Um, And during this time, he was part of the special topics team in the Chemical Terrorism Method Development Lab. So during that time, he developed bioanalytical, what word is this, assays? (laughs) See, this is Uh, a science word, assay, (laughs) to measure human exposure to organophosphorus nerve agents. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm just out of my um, science words right now. I need, I need the expert here. But um, Dr. Johnson <laughs> has authored nearly 20 peer-reviewed scientific publications and was part of a team of scientists awarded the CDC's Excellence in Emergency Response International Award in 2015. So there are all your accolades. You are quite, quite the scientist. Um, you might be the expert number two. So... <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this. First of all, um, 
what do we call this? Are we calling this marijuana? Are we calling it cannabis? I know weed is not the right term. I was told that was not correct. (laughs) (laughs) So let's break it down. What are we talking about here? So I like the term cannabis, but you'll hear me use cannabis and marijuana, excuse me, uh, cannabis and marijuana interchangeably. Cannabis is uh, the much more scientific term. That's actually the genus. Um, So you have cannabis indica, cannabis sativa, and cannabis ruderalis are the three species of of the cannabis plant. Uh, Marijuana is a term that uh, has much more political ramifications, but it's a much more um, widely known word. So, you know, either is is fine, uh, especially for sake of ease. Okay. Okay. So I will, I will do that. So let's talk a little bit about your personal background and how, how did you even get involved in this research? Um, well, I, I started out in the pharmaceutical industry, um, worked in various segments of, of that industry in retail pharmacy and, uh, pharmaceutical benefits management. Um, wasn't really my thing. I, I did quite well, but I was really interested in more of a research science driven, uh, kind of career. So, Went to UGA, uh, got my PhD, and I was interested in marijuana then. This was about 2012, 2013, when Colorado and Washington were just getting into the recreational sales. Um, really just had this kind of pipe dream of, man, it'd be cool to run a marijuana testing lab and study this plant, because there is far more to it than just your plastic. Everybody's stereotype of the stoner sitting around going, hey, man, and eating Cheetos on the couch. It's, it's completely different than that. Right. Um, That's weed. That was very interesting. (laughs) Right. That's weed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And so I was, I was interested, but it wasn't really the the right, the right move at the right time. I mean, it was a very, uh, very developing industry at the time. Uh, So I had the opportunity to go to the CDC and I said, Hey, this should be interesting. And if nothing else, you know, if, if the cards align correctly, this will look great on my resume to take to the marijuana industry. So, I was there for about two and a half years and, and really started looking um, and got an opportunity out here in, in Nevada uh, with a company called Ace Analytical. And so we were a uh, startup company in a startup industry. So you can see the, uh, the challenges there. But the interesting thing about Nevada is for an analytical chemist like myself, it's a great market to be in because this is the world's most stringent testing uh, requirements as far as marijuana goes. So uh, as we like to say here, it's the purest pot on the planet. So nowhere else does marijuana undergo the safety and potency testing and characterization that it gets here. So uh, for those people interested potentially in uh, partaking in, in legal marijuana after recreational sales become available, um, know that you're getting the safest, cleanest pot of anywhere on the planet. So um, our company now, we were established in 2015. Uh, Our owners are an anesthesiologist, and she's in medical device sales, a husband and wife. And it's great having that kind of scientific backing. They're very much, you know, uh, we're open to the idea and quite interested in in the medicinal potential of the cannabis plant. So um, I came on in 2016. Uh, It was kind of interesting to, to leave the government. I certainly didn't say a whole lot about where I was going because I understood um you know, at the end of the day, what I do is, is legal here in the state of Nevada, um, but it's still I- illegal at the federal level, unfortunately. So, um, you know, it's not exactly something in a federal job that you can say, hey, I'm going to leave here and go uh, go study marijuana. But right. um, for me, it was, it was very much 
the interest of the medicinal potential. So I won't get too much into the politics and economics of marijuana, but there's there's a lot to it of, of why it's illegal. And so uh, pharmaceutical companies spend a lot of money to, to keep the plant illegal um, through lobbying efforts and, you know, other mis- public misinformation campaigns. So, um, you know, they certainly know something that the, the average person doesn't. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I found out that different strains, so marijuana, you know, it, it, a lot of people just think of it, hey, that little baggie of, you know, it looks like oregano over there. Right. Um, that's marijuana. It's about smoking it and it's about getting high. And it's like, no, it's, it's far from that. Different strains have different smells. They do different things. Well, they started to go from kind of a medical user uh, into more of what I consider a meadow recreational user getting, you know, there's medicinal benefits. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. And um, some other interesting aspects of it, I really was fascinated why different strains produce different effects. Some things made me happy. Some things made me tired. Some things made me creative and energetic. Other things made me lazy and, uh, you know, the, the sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. And uh-huh. I was fascinated by how little tweaks in the plant could cause these significant differences in, in what it did. So um, we came out here in, in 2016. Um, we have uh, currently today, we get to employ, including myself, uh, three Ph.D. scientists, uh, two master's degree uh, level scientists and three bachelor's degree level chemists. Uh, even even the guy that goes and picks up samples for us uh, has a bachelor's degree in environmental science. So we believe very strongly in uh, doing things the right way as far as the testing, but also we're at the forefront of this industry, finding out things that you know have been off limits to most scientists for the past 70 to 80 years. So um, we're really at the forefront of the testing, the movement, as well as just understanding what's in this plant and what it does and why it does. Um, right. Those sorts of things. So quick question. What is making Nevada and your lab so special as far you said it's, you know, you have incredible safety procedures in place. Talk about that a little bit more and, and why that's important in, in this realm, especially. Sure. Um, so this is the most stringent testing requirements of anywhere in the world. So all uh, products sold here commercially in Nevada um, go through rigorous safety and safety and potency testing. No other market has that. So if you go to California, things it's optional for the producer to test their product. And usually they just test how much THC is in there. They don't test for microbial contamination. They don't test for pesticide exposure. They don't test for heavy metal exposure. And some of the concentrates that they make with residual solvents, they don't test to make sure that the solvents are out of there. So Nevada is the only place requiring all, all products to be tested. Um, Currently, all of our products undergo a safety panel where they're um, measured for pesticide exposure. That's been a really big hot topic in the industry, especially in in the state of California. Uh, Microbial contamination, which is a huge deal because especially when you're dealing with uh, true medicinal patients that may be undergoing chemotherapy that have compromised immune systems, you don't want them exposed to these microbiological contaminants, stuff like aspergillus. is very bad, or salmonella, E. coli, cholera. So, there's a lot of. Are you saying, like, in the states that have medically legal marijuana, they're not testing for anything but the THC levels? Unfortunately, that's true for the most part. Wow, um, okay. One of, the, one of the things to mention is, you know, because this is a, illegal at the federal level, every state is different. Um, their laws, requirements, and how they do things, which makes it. Um, 
you know, for a company like us looking to expand, it makes it incredibly challenging because I have to be familiar with a lot of law. Uh, for instance, in Washington, all medical marijuana is not required to be tested. However, all recreational marijuana gets uh, tested for THC levels. Hmm. And so it's like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So you see these different markets. But Nevada, because we are so heavily regulated in the gaming industry, they basically said, hey, that's how it's going to be done. You want to participate in this space. And so, you know, in order for me to work in this industry, I go through three background checks a year. So I go from one from the state of Nevada to work in the industry. I go from one in the city of Las Vegas to run the lab. And I go through another one to be a patient. Whereas wow. when I was at CDC, I had a clearance and I went through one in two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there, there's a lot of extra scrutiny here in Nevada really went over the top. But you really can't say that about a lot of states. Um, California's had issues with pesticides. You've seen recalls of products in Colorado. So um, you never, at the end of the day, you know, I, I always tell folks in our industry, don't forget they can take what we're doing away. Do things the right way or else we're going to pay for it. So right. it's a lot of it's the Wild West. But unfortunately, there's this kind of mentality of, well, we've always done it that way. It's been black market. It's going, yeah, but let's make it safe. You know, cannabis itself is not toxic to humans, but the things that make it unsafe are obviously, you know, the same things with alcohol. Don't operate motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other the other big issue is just exposure. If somebody's spraying a lot of pesticides on your uh, cannabis plant, certain pesticides are incredibly toxic to humans. For instance, mycobutanol is a pesticide that's used quite frequently when you actually uh, combust it. So when you would smoke it, actually turns into one of the byproducts of hydrogen cyanide. It's like we don't want, you know, patients or consumers to be exposed to those sorts of chemicals. Safety testing is is very important, but it's just now, the industry's just now starting to see that. So it's really, honestly, a very new industry. Uh, Cannabis testing lab, the first one opened in California in about 2008. Um, And then you started seeing stuff pop up, but everybody in Nevada has only been around since 2015, 2016. This is a very new industry and very new kind of arena um, in the medicinal, you know, into the cannabis legalization uh, kind of movement. Well, I know you didn't want to get into it majorly, but I do, I don't want to gloss over um, the political and economic um, sort of implications of this. You said something about the the lobbyist and, and the lobbying against pharmaceutical marijuana or, or, or something about the pharmaceutical industry is, is you know, anti-marijuana. But you think there's another reason behind that? Yeah. Or you absolutely. know there is. Absolutely. And this is, absolutely. This is kind of the eye-opening experience. So when I was in, uh, in grad school, I really started to say, hey, I'm being paid and being trained to, to become a professional scientist and a researcher. Let me do some research on the cannabis plant itself to see hey, if I'm going to try to get interested in this, is it safe? Or is it this, you know, horrible thing that we've been told, you know, throughout our childhood? It's the devil's lettuce, the reefer madness. And so (laughs) once you kind of explore, and I would invite anybody interested in this, kind of explore some of the the backstory of, of the, you know, um, prohibition of cannabis. And what you'll see is it really starts in the 30s. Um, And what they found was it's direct competition, uh, a very similar species of plant that actually doesn't get you high, doesn't have THC in there, it is uh, hemp. And you can make hemp could actually uh, compete with lumber, and it grows a lot faster. So there's a lot of advantages to it. So you saw a lot in the 30s of uh, uh, industry starting to see, hey, 
we can't really compete against it. Let's try to figure out how to get it out of out of uh, the market. So, you know, in the 30s is kind of where you saw the reefer madness of so the stories of in Congress, the, the you know, H- Henry Anslinger testifying that marijuana makes uh, uh, Hispanic and African-American men rape white women. Um, that was honestly the comment that he made. And it's like, no, that, that's just so false and rooted in ra- racism. Then you look into uh, the Nixon administration in the 70s who really clamped down and, and went after marijuana. And he had people in his administration coming out in the 1990s saying, well, basically we couldn't make it illegal to be against the Vietnam War or to be a, you know, a minority. We're going to make cannabis illegal. We can put people in jail. And so, but unfortunately, the way they spin it to the public is, you know, they, they have some really horribly designed scientific studies. So this whole notion that, you know, marijuana kills brain cells and makes you dumb. Well, the data that they derive that from comes from a study in which they gasped monkeys. And they put so much uh, marijuana. You, you bleeped in, out for a minute. Did you say gas monkeys? <laughs> yeah, so they were actually uh, testing. They were actually testing marijuana on monkeys. Okay. They were doing it with a gas. So they were actually exposed to. Um, and the funny thing is, in, in the science world, you always release your materials and methods so that people can reproduce your work. Um, the study that actually cited these things, they didn't release the materials and methods until five years after. So that should already tell you it, it, it had um, it had issues. And so what they actually found was uh, the monkey's brain cells did, they showed signs of asphyxiation. And so they had basically put the concentration of smoke way too high. The monkeys suffocated. There was no oxygen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not a realistic way that people consume cannabis. Right. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation in here, and it kind of ties to that economic um, aspect. Cannabis is, is something that has a lot of various potential um, across various industries. So could potentially compete in the lumber industry. Mm-hmm. Could, could potentially compete with the alcohol and tobacco industry from the social use aspect. Right. Um, it's a great money-making tool for private prisons because you make something illegal. There's a steady stream of people to pump into it. So, um, And then it also the pharmaceutical industry. Um, there's a company in Arizona Arizona tried to pass adult use of recreational marijuana in 2016, and a company uh, donated, a pharmaceutical company donated $500,000 to the effort to say no. It didn't pass, and then shortly after, that company was awarded a uh, Schedule II permit to make synthetic THC, the the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. Um. It's like, you know, you see these things, and it's going, wow, instead of having an industry where people can quite frankly grow you know their own products and stuff it's it's not profitable and you see that it all of a sudden you know as you start to put the puzzle pieces together it's like it's more profitable it has been more profitable to keep this illegal but now that you know the industry's really opening up and you're starting to see states have you know commercial whole entire commercial industries it employs a lot of good people i mean take my lab for instance we're employing a lot of really talented scientists that wouldn't normally be employed in the scientific field in Las Vegas. That's just not what our town's built on. So there's a lot of great things that will come from it. It's just kind of crushing that social stigma that marijuana is bad. It makes you stupid. It makes you lazy. None of that stuff has ever been proven scientifically. From my personal and professional perspective, yeah, marijuana makes people lazy, certain strains, but Honestly, a lot of times that person was already lazy before they got there. So, you know, that that whole, you know, you're going to be 30 living in your parents' basement eating Cheetos, like, 
that's just not true. That that person was going to be that way anyway, <laughs> whether it was booze or video games or anything. Right. That's where they were going to be. So, um, you so know, I didn't want to get too political about it, but it's certainly, you know, the more you dive into it, the more you're going, wow, this is this is bad. Yeah. I don't mind getting political. It's fun. Um, so what <laughs> what do we know about cannabis? I mean, I, I am literally under a rock when it comes to marijuana. And um, I know my mom, for once, is beaming proudly at me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I just, um, I, I'm under a rock. So what exactly, what do we know about cannabis? Well, first, I, I always, I love this line. We're just scratching the surface on what we know about marijuana. It is, you know, you got to think really, um, humans have actually been using cannabis for more than 1,200 years. Um, mm. You look at a lot of a lot of the archaeological, you know, information that's derived from, you know, these various uh, explorations. And what they find is they found Vikings carry cannabis with them. Uh, cannabis was part of Chinese herbal medicine. Uh, cannabis has been part of a lot of spiritual, um, a lot of spiritual events in, in places like South and Central America. Um, there's also a lot of spiritual uh, use of cannabis associated with Rastafarians in Jamaica. Um, it also goes back to the lineage in the Kush Mountains in Afghanistan. So humans have been using this for a long time. Unfortunately, though, most of what we know about the human body and medicine, we've made huge strides in the last seven, you know, 50 to 100 years. Well, marijuana's really been pretty much illegal, a little bit of a gray area since the 1930s. And that really enforcement ramped up in the 1970s. So as a lot of what we know about the human genome, um, you know, proteomics, protein expression, disease progression, we've learned probably in the last 30 years, well, we've done no studying of marijuana during that time. So there's a lot that we're making. We're making up for lost time, uh, mm -hmm. to say the least. And unfortunately, a lot of what we know from cannabis is what I consider to be pseudoscience. Um, I get a whole lot of, unfortunately, in this industry, my homeboy said or my friend <laughs> said, and I'm like, no, there's no scientific basis in that. Um, that is not peer-reviewed science. Peer, homeboy is not peer-reviewed. <laughs> not at all. Uh, uh, some of these guys are very interesting, but it's the challenges of taking a black market industry and making it into a regulated industry. It's it's challenging, to say the least, um, and kind of squishing that whole mentality. I've done this. I've done this in this place. Well, it's great. That may work in California or Colorado, but this is Nevada. If you want to work in this market, you have to adhere to the laws and regulations in the state. Um, the other aspect of this is, as well as a lot of it's anecdotal. You look at the Rick Simpson oil, which um, is a whole plant extract used to treat uh, skin cancer and some other um, types of cancer, and it's all anecdotal. I, I am very curious about it. Um, that's certainly one of the things that I would say any any listener interested, look up Rick, Rick Simpson oil. Uh, the other problem is there's very limited studies. So you can actually study marijuana legally in the United States. There is one place at the University of Mississippi. They grow the government, the only government, federal government legal marijuana. And from what I hear from researchers and people I know, it is terrible. Um, <laughs> the quality is very low. So it's not really suited to study correctly or appropriately. So, you know, you're you're also kind of setting it up for failure. Let's say there was actually a study, I believe John Hopkins was going to be doing this, where they wanted to look at cannabis use, I believe, and PTSD. And they actually had to cancel the, the study because the quality 
of, of the cannabis that they were going to receive wasn't going to be to the specs that they requested. And this is actually, uh, from, from what I've heard from a couple of other researchers trying to get into that field, uh, this is a huge challenge. So unfortunately, uh, we could really accelerate what we know about cannabis you know, by putting out National Science Foundation or NIH grants to let this be studied heavily at the academic level and let industry kind of take pick and choose what they want and kind of commercialize that technology. But, you know, this whole state right versus, you know, federally illegal kind of comes into play there and it really hinders the science. So, you know, I feel like my lab is on the forefront of what we know, but we're still just barely getting to the surface of, of you know, the different medicinal um different medicinal potentials and what is there, what contributes to the effects, especially as you look towards the recreational market. Wouldn't you like to know if you're going to try cannabis as a consumer? Hey, I'm going to use this during the day. I don't want it to make me sleepy. Well, perfect. We've got a strand here. I think you're going to like it. It'll help you, you know, be energetic um, and outgoing. I'm looking for something to help me sleep. Oh, well, we've got this strand. It's a very heavy strand. It's going to be, help you be sedative, but the great part is there's no there's no hangover, there's no after effects the next day to it. So, you know, my interest in this is really kind of tailoring it towards what are you looking for out of it? Let's see if we can find the right strain because the plan is so complex. Every everybody's experience is, is a little bit different, which is also very interesting to me. Well I think it's I think it's fascinating from just a standpoint, even if no matter how you fall on the marijuana spectrum, whether you think it should be legal or illegal or just for medicinal purposes only, but just the fact that it's so lazily regulated for safety, um, that, that is shocking to me. Um, and so, yeah, I I don't know. I just wanted to say that (laughs) it just seems like such a no brainer that if you're going to, you know, use marijuana for medicinal purposes that you could end up causing yourself a whole lot more damage by having a bad batch, like you said, with the microbial issues. And um, that's just, that's kind of crazy to me. It absolutely. And it's, you know, it's kind of too kind of changing the mindset of people going, Hey, just because that's what we've been doing for 30 years, you know, keep in mind, we used to not wear sunscreen 30 years ago. (laughs) We didn't really know that much about skin cancer. So, you know, it's kind of, I always tell people this, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether you agree or disagree with what I do professionally, people need to understand that people have been using marijuana, whether it's legal or illegal, for a very long time. That's not going to stop. Right. What my aspect of this industry is, is making it safer for people. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to use it, don't you want to be doing that in a legal market with a legal transaction, buying lab-tested, safe products versus buying something in a sketchy black market, potentially dangerous situation, then compound that with the effects that you have no idea what they did. And because it's illegal, there's no product liability in there. Right. So what? I sprayed this, that, and the other on there. Doesn't matter. Not my problem. What are they going to do? Call the cops on me? Right. No. So, you know, you just get access to safer products. And at the end of the day, it's like, that's my job is is, you know, similar to my background in CDC, that's public health. To me, this is a public health and safety issue. So let's talk a little bit about um, why marijuana and cannabis and, and all the different strains, why it's way more than just getting high. Like, let's talk about all the things that, um, the, the active compounds and, and all that. Let's discuss what we just, Absolutely. will blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've, 
preface this by saying there is way more to marijuana than just THC. It's way more about, there's a lot more to it than just getting high. Um, as we like to say, marijuana or cannabis is a cornucopia of pharmacologically active substances in there. So uh, last I checked, there's been 483 different compounds that have been identified in cannabis. There is a lot more that we don't know as an analytical chemist. I'm going, we, we don't have the capabilities or the knowledge yet to quite figure out what these really low abundance compounds are. And this presents a really interesting uh, problem. So I'm actually on uh, one of the, the governor's working groups to help with implementing regulations on our industry. And, you know, you get a lot of people that don't know about cannabis and they're going, hey, we need to regulate it like a pharmaceutical. We need to regulate it like an agricultural product. And I'm going, no, 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 that's, that's incorrect because this is a very unique product. It's something we've never seen before that doesn't fit into kind of the regulatory box of any one industry or product. So what I mean by that is there's aspects of the pharmaceutical drug here, right? That's the whole medical marijuana movement. Well, should it be regulated like a pharmaceutical? Not really, because it's, I don't consider it to be a, you know, a, a well-developed pharmaceutical product. There's aspects of social use drug, and I put that on the scale of alcohol and tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, as we learn more and as growing techniques, you're really going to see kind of a, I almost equate it to like the alcohol industry. You're going to see kind of something for everything. If you're looking to buy good amount of cannabis really cheap. There's people who can mass produce it and give you what you want. If you're looking for something that's kind of like a fine wine, very well crafted, small batches kind of stuff, it's going to be a lot more expensive. You're going to have that as well. And you're going to have kind of everywhere in between. So there's, there's really something for everybody in that, in that realm. And then it's also a natural product. So you're starting to see now things like people are using it, myself included, as kind of a health supplement. So there are compounds in marijuana that a lot of compounds in there that don't get you high that have great health benefits. Okay, like um, what? I played college baseball. <laughs> uh, anti-inflammatory is is a big one. Uh-huh. Um, I played college baseball and, and pitched, and my shoulder um, it, it sounds like an old door when I move it some mornings. And I found that uh, CBD, uh, which is a compound I'll get into a little bit later, actually helps with that. Um, mm-hmm. Some other terpenes that have antimicrobial and antifungal properties to it. There's a lot of interesting kind of health and, and supplement aspects to it. And you're also starting to see people doing what what uh, it's called microdosing, or they're taking very very small amounts of the active compounds in cannabis, and they're ingesting those throughout during various times throughout the day. So they're keeping kind of a level of cannabinoids in their system that helps out with you know whether it's focus, whether it's anxiety. Uh, whether it's pain, uh, whether it's inflammation. There's so what, a lot of different aspects. What are cannabinoids and terpenes? You you said both of those words. What's the difference between the two? Okay, so the cannabinoids are a, a class of compounds that aren't unique to cannabis, but they're very rare in plants. So cannabinoids include uh, THC, which everybody knows is the psychoactive compound to get you high. Okay. It also includes CBD or cannabidiol. Cannabidiol is the compound that's been made very famous by Sancha Gupta on CNN with that little girl with Dravet syndrome. I can't think of her name off okay. the top of my yeah, head. Okay, yeah, yeah, When they show these CBD oils, they're actually just extracting cannabidiol. There's no THC in there. So that little girl does not get high because THC is really the psychoactive driver in that equation. So you, these are really, so there's, 
cannabis has about 80 to 120 different cannabinoids. We're, people are starting to become a little bit more familiar with THC because they know the psychoactivity and CBD because, you know, of, of the cases with the, the children with Dravet syndrome or the seizures. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, we, there's not a whole lot that, that uh, you know, most people know about compounds like CBN. Uh, CBG, THCV, a lot of these other cannabinoids. So that's kind of where we're just scratching the surface of we know they're there. We sort of maybe have an idea of what they could do, what they may do, but we don't understand enough about what all what they all do in combination. So um, you have cannabinoids in there, and then you also have compounds in there called terpenes. And terpenes are the compounds that give it the scents and the flavors. They're also found in a lot of flowers, fruits, vegetables. So if you ever wonder why the pine tree smells like pine, <laughs> well, that, that smell, that pisol smell, that is, that's alpha and beta piney. Those two terpenes are also found in marijuana. Likewise, uh, lavender. People like essential oils. It's derived from terpenes. So lavender has a very calming effect because it has high levels of linalool. Linalool is also found in marijuana, and it has very relaxing, sedative effects to it. So linalool, for me, knocks me out. I'll have something with nice levels of linalool. It's great for me to sleep. Um, so those really produce kind of what I consider to be the secondary effect. Does that strain make you happy? Does that strain make you tired? Does that strain make you uh, energetic, hungry, lazy? Any of those things, a lot of those come from the terpenes. But there's also, as I mentioned, there's 483 compounds that we know of. So if you look down, you're going cannabinoids make up 80 to 120 of that. Terpenes, about 130, maybe more, could potentially be in cannabis. You still got a lot of other compounds in there like flavonoids, stilvanoids, alkaloids, things that are very hard to track down what they do because they're not really, there's not a whole lot that we know about them. We're just now kind of getting to, ooh, we found these. I wonder what they do now. So it's a really complex mixture of compounds, you know, away from THC. As I mentioned, there's far more than THC. Now, it is the most abundant compound in the plant, but it's certainly not the most active or the most interesting, uh, in my opinion. That's really interesting. Um, when you were talking about CBD, um I think there's just a huge misconception that that was all THC related in the media and yeah. how that was presented. Absolutely. And that's where kind of the, the misinformation comes from. They make strains. It's quite interesting. So, you know, since we get to test everything, I have seen a variety of strains and products. And uh, most strains, I would say probably 90 to 95% of the products that come through are THC. They are um, very low CBD because the interesting thing is, is the two kind of interact oppositely. So THC has, it, it binds to receptors to give you that psychoactive effect. Well, CBD doesn't like binding with those same receptors. In fact, it kind of, it sort of prevents them from binding. So we describe it as sort of a gas break. So THC is the gas going to get you the psychoactivity. CBD is the break. There is no psycho, you know, very limited to no psychoactivity associated with it. Um, so you'll see straight about 90, 95% of the products will have THC. You'll see there's a small but emerging market for CBD products. 
And then we'll see stuff with in between. So we'll see things with what I like to call the one-to-one strains or uh, the amount of THC is equal to the amount of CBD. And these are really interesting products because they like to say they sort of give you a little bit of a high, but not really. And so you can really see as you get into, I've had, you know, complete CBD products and there's no psychoactivity um, for it. You feel nice, you feel good, but there's no high associated with it. There's no cognitive impairment associated with it, um, which is why they've seen such success in children is it's going, you're not, you're not harming them from the effect of you're exposing them to psychoactive drugs. No, actually you're not at all getting them high and there's no THC in those products. It's interesting. So how does marijuana actually work in the body? All right. So this is where a lot of the, as I mentioned, the lack of science comes in here. So there's actually an entire another system in the body called the endocannabinoid system. So, you know, you have your cardiovascular system, your skeletal, uh, your skeleton system, you have um, your central nervous system. Well, you have also an endocannabinoid system. Now, unfortunately, because, you know, the whole federal illegality situation, we haven't really been able to study this. And in fact, only about 10% of med schools actually even teach anything about the endocannabinoid system at this time. Hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, the endocannabinoid system has a lot of functions in the body. So it's involved in sleep. It's involved in pain. It's involved in mood. It's involved in appetite. There's a lot of other aspects that it's involved in that it's going, wow, how did we miss this one? Um, and the, the way that it works is you have what they call cannabinoid receptors. So there's CB1 and CB2 receptors. So this is where some of the compounds in marijuana go and, you know, do uh, create the effects. So I wish that it had a, a, a drawing to kind of show this, but there are cannabinoid receptors significant uh, concentration is in the brain, but they're scattered throughout the body. And this is why when people go, hey, I've heard of cannabis treating X syndrome, and I'm going, I haven't heard that, but I'm not surprised, because there are receptors. People Mm -hmm. are seeing great success with um, stomach issues, UCL, uh, with an ulcerative colitis, I believe Mm -hmm. is what it is. They're seeing good success with that. A lot of these uh, stomach issues people are having, they're seeing success. We certainly know the anti-nausea, anti-vomiting properties that are associated with marijuana use. Um, and it has to do with where it's actually interacting with those receptors. Um, That's now, really marijuana interesting. Itself, um, it's interesting that you say that medical school, only about 10% even mention it. And I was talking to Dr. Greger a, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and he was talking about how 10% of medical schools cover nutrition. And it's really interesting from a political standpoint how much of, uh, you know, big industry, big pharma, big food um, is is tied to nutrition and obviously, in your opinion, cannabis, and how none of the doctors that are coming out of school are learning about any of the benefits or, or the ways to teach nutrition and help their patients or, or about this industry. It's just kind of an interesting anecdote. It is. And unfortunately, I, I've heard the phrase a long time ago uh, when I was in the pharmaceutical industry, and it's sad, but it's true. Healthy people are profitable people. And, you know, kind of your thought definitely with the kind of triathlon swim bike mom thing and, and certainly my interest you know part of my interest in this is it's about healthy living it's it's cyclic you know you have uh you know your exercise your diet aspect of it but also this endocannabinoid kind of supplement 
healthy living. I mean, we got to remember that the endocannabinoid system has been around since humans have been using cannabis, so at least twelve hundred or at least twelve thousand years. There's a reason it's there. If it if cannabis were bad for us, evolutionary biology would have phased that out over time. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we have that system there really tells me, hey, we should use this or we should understand more about this. This may be a very important key to unlocking, you know, human health and, and well being. Right. So what is the entourage effect? So this is a this is a very interesting and important aspect of cannabis. So the entourage effect was actually developed by somebody in uh, in Great Britain with CW Pharmaceutical, very very important name in this industry, Ethan Russo. And so basically, the entourage effect just describes the fact that when you use cannabis with those more than 400 different compounds in there, they all act synergistically on the body. So when people say, "Hey, this," this particular strain made me sleepy. Well, interesting. Well, you've got a combination of the, of the THC and they're making you high, but you have a combination of potentially other cannabinoids and certainly other terpenes and other compounds that are actually interacting in various mechanisms and modes with various receptors in the body that are producing those effects. This mm-hmm. is why pharmaceutical companies, when they come out with their synthetic marijuana drugs, they, they don't work very well. It's because they don't understand this. Uh, they don't understand that whole whole plant therapy is actually much preferred over kind of the, the pharmaceutical synthetic because you don't have the entourage effect. You don't have the combination of all of these compounds in there working and interacting in the body. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense from the perspective as well is that terpenes have a lot of health benefits. Well, the essential oil industry would agree with me on that one. Uh, likewise, you know, this entire aspect of diet and nutrition. Well, we're told to eat a lot of plant-based diets there. Well, plants and and fruits are very high in terpenes as well. So Mm -hmm. you're getting terpenes in a different effect. But the entourage effect is also part of unlocking the endocannabinoid system, which appears to really only be driven as far as kind of unlocking. So I describe it as a key mechanism. So you have your endocannabinoid system as a lock, and you have THC or CBD, maybe some other cannabinoids that kind of go in and unlock that. When they do, it allows all the other compounds to interact with various parts of the endocannabinoid system. Interesting. So um, let's talk about the different ways to consume cannabis. I mean, you don't just have to smoke it, and I know you want to be nice to your lungs, so <laughs> what else? How, many, <laughs> how can you enjoy? I mean, as a runner, I can't imagine, and I'm also a former smoker, um, from, you know, that's what you did in college when you were cool. Um, but <laughs> now you go to college campuses and no one smokes, which is great. But back in the day, everyone smoked. And so to me, even if I found out the health benefits were there, I would be very hesitant to smoke anything just for, for various reasons. So what, what are some of the ways to ingest it? So you're, you're seeing all kinds of new and interesting ways and products these days. So one of the uh, really big kind of sectors that's developed and one I'm personally a fan of is vaporizing. So you can actually vaporize cannabis flowers. And what you're doing there is you're heating it to a very high temperature, about 350 to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And you're actually putting all those compounds that we're interested in into a vapor state. And you're able to just consume those active compounds and very little of the, the plant material and you don't go through the combustion process. Okay. Uh, there's also 
there's also edibles, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later because that's an interesting uh, product that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't know very much about. Mm-hmm. Um, tinctures and topicals are an area that are, are really starting to develop. Unfortunately, kind of some of the topicals aren't at high doses yet just because the cost of cannabinoids is still kind of high, that it's hard to make high-concentration topicals. Um you know, for patients and, and make them at a relatively affordable cost. Okay. Um, what is a tincture? Uh, tinctures are... Is that like something that you used to mix with like a little whiskey or something? <laughs> I believe so. I've never actually had them. Okay. Okay. Well, we don't have to talk yeah, about tinctures. Them, yep. You take them orally by mouth. Okay. 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 Yeah. Like a little drop under the... I think it's a little drop under the tongue. Okay. Sorry, I, I, I've never used a tincture product, and I've never been asked what they were. <laughs> Sorry. Surprise. I got no, you. No, no worries. No worries. <laughs> I, it means I need to learn a little more. <laughs> no worries. And then um, the beverages? Are there beverages? You're starting to see them. Um, it's really hard to make the beverage consistent is one of the, the reasons that you haven't seen a whole lot of them. Uh, but they are out there. One of my favorite products as far as from an edibles perspective is lozenges, um, just because you have a little bit different absorption, so it doesn't hit you as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you have transdermal patches. Now, this is kind of a new one, um, but I, I think you're going to see really kind of a medical push towards transdermal patches, and you also have suppositories. So, oh, my. You know, <laughs> case in point, as you mentioned, you have somebody who doesn't want to smoke, and they can't well, hold I'm down anything. I'm not putting it in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I draw the line there, too. They, <laughs> I don't know much about them, but they sell. So that's all I that's have to so say funny. about it. I think I like tinctures, just because it stumped you. <laughs> <laughs> so and then you also, have a, you also have a variety of concentrate products as well. So what they're actually doing is they're taking the flour and they're using either CO2 or some type of oil or hydrocarbon solvent, and they're extracting out cannabinoids and they're purifying it out. So they're making very pure uh, doses of cannabinoids and terpenes in there. And what they're doing with those, if you've heard the term dabbing, it's where you're basically have, um, you heat something at elevated temperature and you put your cannabis extract on it and you smoke it like you would out of a, a small water pipe, but it's just very concentrated cannabinoids and terpene, but you, you smoke very little. So let's say somebody may smoke a bowl that, you know, they may smoke 250 milligrams of flour. Well, if that's 10% THC, they're going to get 25 milligrams of THC versus the concentrate might be at, let's say 75% uh, THC in there. Well, you might only, dab, you know, you might only consume, let's say a hundred milligrams out of that. So getting 75 milligrams on your dose. So you're seeing a lot more concentrated products in that kind of dab sector. I won't say that's my area of interest. I prefer flowers because I like the whole natural product myself. Uh, but it's very interesting what a lot of these people are doing these days. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about edibles. You said there was a lot more to that than, than meets the eye. Yeah, absolutely. So it never fails when I tell people what I do. They always go, I want a job. I can test edibles. And I'm like, you realize I, I run a, a $3 million lab with lots of sophisticated equipment. We're not sitting in the car smoking, rating it as, quote, good stuff. 
<laughs> and likewise, you know, everybody thinks that edibles are a safer way. And while that is true from the perspective of your lungs, it is safer to eat something than it is smoke something. The thing is, what happens in the body is far different than the effects you get from smoking. So after you consume, so when you consume an edible, it's, you already have the psychoactive compound. So it's THC is in there in its active form. It's not in its active form in a flower. So if anybody's ever eaten some cook, you know, they've tried to make edibles at home and they didn't do anything. Well, chances are they didn't have, they didn't undergo the step called decarboxylation or where you confer, con, uh, convert the acidic form of THC, which is non-psychoactive, into that psychoactive compound everybody knows as THC. Mm-hmm. When the edible, you're ingesting that psychoactive compound, goes through your digestive tract, and the liver makes a metabolite called 11-hydroxy-THC. This is actually two to ten times more potent than the THC form you smoke. So it hits you quite hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say from, from personal experience, I am a person that gets hit very, very powerfully. So for me, if I ingest too much of an edible, I'll have a bit of a hangover where my head's kind of foggy, and I and I really don't like that. So I'm not a big fan of the edibles from that perspective, but there are a lot of people that have no issues. It's just my own personal uh, body, you know, body genetics and chemistry just do not like that compound. And the interesting thing is because you ingest it and it goes through the digestive tract, it can take anywhere from one to two hours to take effect. So the problem is people ingest it and they're going, oh, I'm not feeling anything. I need another one because they're relating to alcohol going, well, if I'm not drunk after one beer, I can have another. Mm-hmm. Well, you really need to wait on this because unfortunately, once the effects take hold, they're significantly stronger and they last much longer. So if you smoke, you're intoxicated for about 60 to 90 minutes is when your peak levels of, of uh, blood content, your peak blood concentrations, THC are the highest. When you consume an edible, these effects can last anywhere from three to eight hours. Wow. That's a very long time for yeah. somebody to be high, especially um, in a very novice kind of market. You're going to have a lot of people under that misconception, I'll just try an edible, that's safer. And they you know, are going to make that mistake. And as I like to tell people, it's like, there's not a whole lot we can do for you once that starts. Kind of put your seatbelt on. And oh, my God. And I really fought hard for this in the, in the drafting of the regulations for this reason. Um, what we're going to do in the state of Nevada is all edibles are going to have to be packaged no more per serving than 10 milligrams of THC, which is, in my opinion, uh, at the high end of that, pretty good dose for a novice user. But the thing we wanted to make sure is people come out here to Las Vegas. You come out here to do all the things you can't do at home but are legal here. Mm-hmm. People act a fool on a regular basis. The last thing we want to see, especially as an industry, is people coming out here consuming too many edibles and doing something stupid. Most of the negative effects and negative publicity was centered around edibles. You look at Colorado and most of the outside of traffic-related incidents, which are actually not as high as alcohol, Edibles are the edibles are the ones causing the problem. So you saw somebody uh, had too many edibles, and I believe they jumped out of a balcony window. Um, well, that's because they took way too many and they mixed them with alcohol. So mm-hmm. you know, the last thing I wanted was patients being able to, you know, consumers being able to buy a hundred milligram candy bar with 
you know, the label saying, well, break it into 10 pieces. Nobody's doing that. It's no. a candy bar. And the next, That's like a no. pint of ice cream. You can't eat just like one quarter of a pint of ice cream. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. And so, you know, you consume too many edibles, the effects are very strong, and then you mix them with alcohol. And whatever potential, you know, mind state you're in at the time, next thing you know, somebody's jumping off the top of the stratosphere and everybody's pointing at the marijuana industry going, this is your fault. Right. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's an education issue. So I really saw that as a problem. And any chance I do patient education kind of forums, I always bring this up because it's like, this is this could be the black eye that would really hurt our industry. And this is the one where it's going about giving people information and letting them make an appropriate choice. If somebody ODs on edibles and they opened up 10 separate wrappers, hey, you, you kind of knew what you were doing there. There's only so much we can do, but they unknowingly eat that candy bar that was meant to be broken in 10. Right. There's some responsibility on the industry, and so I, I really got out front on, on fighting that one, and a lot of other people in the industry were were there as well. Mine was kind of from the lab perspective of going, guys, it's, a, it's about patient safety. So, I always love to mention that to go, hey, it's not what you think. Yeah. Well, and I'm I, I'm thankful for you for that because if it's a candy bar, you know, I would be the one that's not breaking it up into 10 pieces. <laughs> like, you know, I, you know, it's, so I think that's a really, really smart thing that, that you advocated for because it's just like, you know, it's just like the pint of ice cream to say that it's 250 calories for a quarter of it. Well, just tell me it's a thousand calories for the whole damn pint <laughs> because yeah. that's what I care to know. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really cool. And that's good information. So what do you see? Um, what is the future of this? Like what, what's the future of marijuana in your opinion? Um, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting. So I think it's not likely to be legal on the federal level anytime soon, unfortunately. So I think you're going to see very much a push uh, as states start to realize, hey, we can make some tax money off of it, you know, and, and put our police and those resources to better use by legalizing and regulating this and taxing it. So you're going to see that a lot at the state level. Um, West Virginia actually just signed uh, their medical marijuana uh, law. The governor just signed off on that. That's now the 30th state that has medical, some form of medical marijuana. Uh, you now have eight states that are adult use plus D.C. that are allowed. So you're really starting to see this at the state level, and that's, that trend's going to continue. Um, unfortunately, the legal status will really prevent any sort of, you know, a lot of people you keep hearing politicians say, we need to do more research, we need to do more research. Quit making it so difficult for people like me to do those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and get rid of the, you know, you're the not marijuana going... in Mississippi and get some good stuff you can test, right? <laughs> well, it's, you know, people want to see clinical trials and how it works on people. You're never going to get an institutional review board to approve a clinical trial on a Schedule One drug. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, academic research really could help us out significantly by making, I'd have loved to have been a grad student, you know, getting to study cannabinoids and terpenes. I, instead, I had to, to read on my own. And, you know, re- I would love to see National Science Foundation or National Institute of Health, those sorts of realms, put that money out for academic institutions to, to start to figure this thing out. But 
I just don't see that. Unfortunately, the whole where federal funding comes in really makes it uh, a bad situation. But I think the future is is very wide open. Um, you never know. I mean, this industry kind of coming out of the dark. You're seeing all sorts of new products, new business models, um, new auxiliary businesses. So there's a big open space for this. And I think as more people, you know, public support has never been higher for medical marijuana. It's never been higher for um, the federal government to step away and, and remove the Schedule One ban on it. And so you're starting to get more and more people. Look at myself. I, I left a government job to, to come tackle this industry because I really felt like it was interesting and it was a, a career that I wanted to do, something I was passionate about. Well, you're starting to get more and more people like me involved. And when you do that, it's just going to drive the business, uh, the industry as a whole in a, in a direction. I hope it's a good direction. Um, there's a lot of good people in this industry. There are certainly some bad actors, but... You know, as long as it's driven from the perspective of it's about consumer safety from mm-hmm. a laboratory perspective and it's about educating people to allow them to make those decisions on products they may want to consume, um, I think it would be headed in, in the right direction if we can continue to do that. Well, I think this was very fascinating. I learned a lot, and there's I still have, like, so many questions, and I know we, we may need to do a part two on this <laughs> because I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of questions. But is there any resources or websites that if anyone wants to kind of learn more about maybe the science behind it that they can go to, or is it just not really much publicly available right now? So there's some, definitely some good resources. So I actually write, or our lab writes a monthly article in Vegas Cannabis Magazine where we like to tackle any and everything we can come up with. So one month we discuss the edibles and kind of how how they can be problematic. Another time we actually made some edible products and posted the lab results and kind of the recipe of what we did so that people could, could duplicate that at home. Mm-hmm. Um Unfortunately, we don't because of legalities. It's, you know, it's kind of why it's not really about a plug for, for our business so much as patient education for me is that it, you know, we don't have a, a functional website to kind of have this wealth of information, unfortunately, but it doesn't really kind of fit the, the direction we need to take our business. Right. Um, so a couple of websites or a couple of, of resources I really like, I think Medical Jane, so, um, uh, medicaljane.com I think is very good. Um, they okay. post a lot of they post a lot of reputable, uh, accurate information. Uh, Leafly, L-E-A-F-L-Y is also another very good source for kind of education knowledge on those things. Those would be the two that I would recommend as far as just a nice, easy way to look through a variety of topics. High Times Magazine is also you know a, a nice reputable source, but yeah, it's more geared towards kind of interest in marijuana and not really so much people interested in the nutritional aspects or the scientific kind of, uh, I hate to say scientific rigor of it, but it's focused in a different kind of, it's got a different target audience. Yeah. And so, you know, if people are really interested in, hey, I want to know what science we know, I really like Medical Jane and, and Weekly. Okay. Well, great. Well, Dr. Johnson, this was really fantastic and I appreciate you taking the time and you know, just wherever we fall on the spectrum, I just think it's really great that you are taking this work and your initiative to make sure that it's going to be a safe product and, and, and 
you know, that's, that's your goal. And I, I think that's extremely important and, and that has a space in the health and wellness industry. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I enjoyed this. And, uh, certainly if people have questions, um, you know, we can, we can figure out how to get those because there's such misinformation in this industry now. And it's like, let's focus on the facts and then allow people to make their own conclusions. You hate to draw a conclusion that you're against something or you don't like the legality if you don't have all the information. And honestly, people haven't been given, people haven't been given an avenue until recently to that, you know, to that information. Right. Well, thanks so much. And we'll, I'll be in touch if there's (laughs) follow-ups. Have a good one. Excellent. All right. You too. Okay. Bye.